In the world of complex online systems, you often end up adding complexity in order to chase revenue. So there's some relationship between system age, revenue it captures, and complexity. In general, the evolution is towards more complex. Right? Yeah, and I don't think we should avoid complexity. I think, you know, we need to embrace it. Your systems are complex because you're successful. Hi, my name's Nora, his name is Niall, and together we are Getting There. This is an irregular podcast where we discuss incident management, safety science, reliability engineering, and operations in the headlines and beyond. We are quite literally figuring this stuff out. We are getting there, implying we're not quite there yet. Instead, we're on a journey exploring this stuff together. Getting There is brought to you by Heavybit, the leading investor in developer-first startups. For more information, visit heavybit.com. Hello, everyone. This is actually the second time we're recording this podcast. I forgot to hit record the first time. We had great content, but, you know, we're, we're SREs. We're, we adapt. <laughs> we prepare for situations that did not go as planned. But today is actually like a really special edition of the Getting There podcast. Uh, Niall and I are together in person for the first time ever. I don't think we've actually met in person before. I would be surprised if we weren't like 150 meters from each other at some point or other in some yeah. conference, but not yeah. introduced. Yeah, so um, we're at SR Economia in Amsterdam. Um, I am here as an attendee and a sponsor. Niall is a co-chair of the conference along with... Uh, his program co-chair and the rest of the program committee and the UCINEX board that helped put together this amazing event. So today we're going to just kind of jive on like the state of SRE, what we're learning at this SRE con, talk about some of the talks and just, yeah, you'll get us kind of live and unfiltered. Yeah. So I suppose to, to start off with the theme of the conference, the CFP, Call for Papers, Call for Participation, had the text, what could SRE be as the theme of the conference? And it's kind of interesting because the job of co-chair is, uh, of course, you get roped into a bunch of stuff, right? But the job of co-chair is this very indirect one where you have massive program influence, but it's hugely indirect. You get to ask people to give talks essentially and you get to curate and like work behind the scenes a lot with the idea of addressing the team mm -hmm. in essence and i think in our or in this particular situation we were trying to stimulate a conversation not necessarily about this existential angst that we face about our identity and so on which maybe we'll come into uh, <laughs> but the the question of what the the future of SRE could be because we could have like the way I see it, there's a bunch of different flavors to what we do that are entering the mix. And some of those flavors are relatively new, like human factors, cognitive systems, engineering, safety science, all of that kind of stuff. And some of them are relatively old, like large-scale systems administration and so on and so forth. So a bunch of different flavors and trying to start a conversation about like not just whether or not we like pistachio or whether or not pistachio or, you know, pineapple on pizza is a valid flavor. Uh, some people are on different sides of that. Uh, but whether... <laughs> oh, I didn't think you were that kind of person. Anyway, um, 
So uh, trying to, to start a useful conversation about of those flavors, like do we have an opportunity to steer ourselves in one way or another? Should we get the community talking more about certain of these flavors? Like all of those kinds of concerns. And I think that some of this obviously relates to the economic situation we're in, mm. recession, potential recession, et cetera, et cetera. But also a bit about like, what are the problems of the future going to be? Are they going to look like the problems of the past? Mm. Or are we kind of entering into various new domains? And I think my intuition is that the problems of the future are, are as yet, uh, we don't find many examples of them in the past. And so we're probably going to have to change as a profession, accommodate yeah. more flavors, get better at certain things and so on. I'm almost curious, you know, I think you mentioned SRE Khan has been going on since 2014. I am curious about how the theme of these conferences has changed uh, throughout time and also what has stayed consistent. You mentioned like large scale systems administration has stayed kind of consistent. But I mean, like I'm curious to map those, the theme of the conference to also what is happening in the world, right? Yeah. Like um, when, so I co-chaired SRE Khan America's um, the year of that the pandemic started, it was December, 2020. It was the first time we had to go online. And, you know, we actually had a really cool panel there about all these places that suddenly had a lot of scale. Like we had people from food delivery companies that had to be SREs. And so, it, you know, that one was really related to the theme of the world at the time. And I think you're right. Like, I think our jobs are changing. They're evolving. Tech is only getting more used. It's not getting less used. Uh, every every company is a technology company and every company is going to have incidents that involve technology. And so our jobs are evolving and, and changing. And I, I think like you were mentioning, a lot of the human element is kind of coming into this too, thinking about socio-technical and complex systems and the humans that are using them or the humans that are building it and the humans that are using it and how all of that relates to each other and affects each other. Yeah, it's it's really fascinating to me. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a huge amount to respond to there. I think the the first thing I would say is very early SRECon flows on really from Lisa, which that's is right, the, the performance. Yeah, yeah, and in in fact, Lisa, that conference has been shut down now, and SRECon is more or less the moral successor of it, and mm -hmm. however you would define that. So there is a, a thread of continuity about the tactics and the day-to-day -day experience of managing computer systems, mm -hmm. which continues. Uh, and that's cool and fine, and we totally, absolutely need that. However, what has started to happen, and uh, obviously this, this depends on your conception of, of the world. Personally speaking, this for me, this is the year 6 AB, which is after Bowie, because after David Bowie left, I feel the world really took a, a long <laughs> turn. Uh, so uh, after, after that point, there's a lot of concerns about kind of system breakdown in the world. There's this obvious one about the pandemic, but there, I mean, there's uh, political systems and so on. Um, as I said in the opening keynote, if you look at the graphs, we will shortly have a UK prime minister every four seconds. This kind of general instability in the world, I think, is bleeding in to the conversation we have about ourselves and about our value. Yeah. And that's one of the themes of the conference, really, which is how do we understand and communicate our value? Mm -hmm. 
as, as SREs, as SREs, right. as systems thinkers, which yeah. is one of these kind of sub flavors that is in the profession somewhere. Mm-hmm. And the system thinker, the, the phase of the system thinker, as I, I wrote in a, a piece a while ago, is more or less to be right, to be correct, but never to be valued. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that this relates to the legend of Cassandra, who is a, a, a prophetess and always correct, but never believed. Uh, and I think the, the difficult thing about never being valued in an organization is that when you, yeah, like you, you may well contribute a lot of value, and I believe we do, systems thinkers do contribute value, but if that's not interpreted, processed well by the organization as a whole, or the individuals you come to buried in their silos, and mm-hmm. you're this SRE trying to stitch together, you know, a coalition of 17 teams in order to improve something or other, and they don't quite know what you're doing, but you're talking to them. And you're, <laughs> you know, it's like we, we talked a little bit on our on our first recording. Um, is it too soon to mention that? Um, <laughs> we talked a little bit about our first recording on just expertise in both areas. You know, system singers have this expertise in how all the pieces of the puzzle fit together, but they're not quite going deep on any piece of the puzzle. But they do recognize that all the pieces of the puzzle require deep thinking. They're just not the ones to do the deep thinking on an individual piece. They understand it to a certain point. Whereas there's going to be people in a niche that don't understand how the whole system works together, which is deep thinking in its own way. And so, like, I think both sides of the coin really need to respect and understand each other. But part of our duty as systems thinkers and systems SREs is to help the person that is managing a single service, not understanding the view of the world of 17 services, really understand how they fit into the bigger picture, why they should care and help build that bridge between us and them. Because, you know, uh, so Lauren Hochstein and Laura McGuire, who Lauren was a former colleague of mine and and, um, Laura is a current colleague of mine and they're both brilliant people. And, um, they talked a lot about what the future of SRE holds and like, um, the history of SRE and it really got me thinking like about the need for historians and organizations um, around how we think about systems, around how we think about technologies, around how we think about the interaction of the technologies and the people. But you can really only gain some of that knowledge by studying it and being around for a certain period of time that you can relay it to others that have joined the organization. You can use that during incidents and we need to also figure out how to equip some of our colleagues with that knowledge too. I mean, we have our own skill sets in being able to do this in other organizations, but you could be the most brilliant SRE around and it's still going to take you some time to ramp up in a new organization and get some of that history in a way to relay it meaningfully and help manage folks in times of crisis and emergency. Yeah, huge amount to say here. Could really talk for hours about this. (laughs) uh, Interestingly enough, Google was one of the few organizations I've worked with that had a historian on staff. Really? And that was their job title? Uh, I think it might have been cultural anthropologist or something like that. Okay. Uh, But essentially, they they were a historian. Engineering Uh, background or...? Uh, I don't know, I'm afraid. I think possibly anthropological background. Okay. Uh, I think the person in question no longer working, and I'm not even sure the role exists anymore, but mm-hmm. I suppose I'm saying that within certain companies and certain moments in time, they have a sense of the historical value right. of somebody. Yeah, like, there reaches a point where no one can hold it all in their head anymore. 
the business is evolving and you need someone that can help you manage some of that and accept it, you know? Yeah, and I think the terrible thing about Silicon Valley is that in combination with this uh, really rather wonderful drive to reinvent and do new things and push forward the wall of the world by throwing yourself at it enough times that it moves forward. Going hand in hand with that is also an emotional commitment to forgetting. Mm -hmm. Because you have to forget that all these other people failed in order to try yourself or, you know, be incredibly arrogant. But maybe both. (laughs) I mean, it's like, but you also have to accept that those things are going to happen or else you're going to keep you know, repeating the same line of thinking, but just with a kind of different flavor. I I didn't get to attend Andrew Clay Schaefer's talk, but I heard a lot about it on, you know, uh, is d- does the language we use matter around what we call ourselves? Um, did you get to catch it? I did indeed. Uh, Essary, as she has spoke, uh, which is mm-hmm. a, a great title. And I hope that when the open access uh, process actually puts the recordings up. You you go check it out because it is genuinely very good. But his thing is, sure, language you know in in obvious and subtle ways guides our behavior, constrains our thinking, or enables thinking. But the great point he had, I think, which is the one the key one I'll, I'll retain, is that when you're doing a new thing, there's a bunch of people who do the, the new thing because they're seeking advantage. Mm. And then once that group is exhausted or completed or however you would put that, there's a bunch of people who are seeking legitimacy mm-hmm. uh, flowing on from that. And mm-hmm. so I think part of what we're doing right now with the systems thinking, with the cognitive systems engineering, with all mm-hmm. of this stuff is seeking legitimacy for these acts which are justifiable to no single individual. No, it's hard to measure the ROI of it. It's just, yeah. And I think there's also a huge a huge thing here from organizational dynamics because right. typically speaking in, we will say the standard corporate setup, however you would define that, but mm-hmm. typically speaking in those organizations, we overload uh, a high up organizational position with the idea of systems thinking and cross scope. You're allowed to have cross scope legitimacy if you are the VP of whatever. Right, but they're not always systems thinkers. Mm, they're not <laughs> and at all. they're also managing people. So it's like, you know, they have their own sharpened, but it's not the same as the SRE who probably does not have direct reports. I don't think they should, honestly. And um, they are understanding the systems. They're understanding how people work together. They're understanding the nuances. And them not having, like, direct uh, power, should we say, over anyone will help build that trust, too. And so that's why I think it's so important for that person to not have some of these direct reports, too. Um, This is a little bit of a tangent, but one of my colleagues, Emily Roop, is here, and she is giving a talk later today on... on, uh, Jurassic Park and incidents and she um, talks about have you seen Jurassic Park I have yeah so she talks about the different Jurassic Park movies and how far away they are from each other and how there are some of the same attitudes towards the situation sort of being repeated and then we you know she goes on to like talk about if they learned from that incident right? Are we having this new set of characters that didn't learn from the characters before? Because that's what's going to happen in our orgs too, especially, you know, the tech industry is still really young and there's new startups popping out all the time. And at this point in time, you might be working with all your same coworkers, but it might completely flip later on. I mean, I know 
you and I have both inherited legacy systems that we have no idea. We don't even know the people that wrote it anymore. I've certainly been at companies that I've like looked at get commit history and then looking people up on LinkedIn to try to get in their head a little bit. And it's, it's almost like I, I want to make some of that thinking. Um, we want to make some of that thinking easier in the industry. Like how can we understand why it made sense to this person to do the things that they did in that moment? Cause that will help us as the present employees do a little bit better too. Yeah. I think that's part of it. I mean, just to touch on the Jurassic Park thing, I think I would describe <laughs> Jurassic Park as being well supplied with autopsies and poorly supplied with organizational post <laughs> You but, should have done the talk later. It's pretty. <laughs> it's pretty funny. I'll have a look. As 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 I said earlier, the the whole question of demonstrating value and how questions of value resonate with different places in the organization, but also with different humans, because humans have backgrounds and specific ways of interpreting the world and so on. One of the underpinning forces that drives a lot of this, I think, though, is complexity. And I also think about this under the heading, or using some of the language from economics, right? Because in, in the world of complex online systems, you often end up adding complexity in order to chase revenue. So there's some relationship between system age, revenue it captures, and complexity. In general, the evolution is towards more complex, right? Yeah, and I don't I don't think we should avoid complexity. I think, you know, we need to embrace it. Like there's because it's complex, it's not bad. You know, Richard, Dr. Richard Cook said a lot of times, you, you know, you're having incidents because you're successful. Your your systems are complex because you're successful. And so I think that's important for us to celebrate is like, there are certainly ways that we can, I think it's shifting towards understanding rather than like judging and trying to fix our systems. We need to shift towards understanding them. And not only we, because I think we are really getting there as, as a SRE industry, but we also need to empower our colleagues, right? We have a huge responsibility to our orgs because we are the ones that are maintaining understanding all the services and how they fit together. And so our relationships to our colleagues are deeply important. You know, I think our job is some of the, is, is one of the most important jobs to have in terms of like making sure we're collaborating with our colleagues that are not on our team. And we're not trying to fix our systems, but we're trying to understand them and we're trying to enable them to understand them a little bit better too. Yeah, I, I think... I mean, inherently, that's difficult if you're coming into a situation where you're trying to explain somebody else's shit to them. Yeah. Uh, that's generally speaking poorly re uh, received. But I, I think the two strategies, and I, I agree, by the way, that complexity is inevitable and is in many ways a, a consequence of success. Right. Um, but you can also end up with a situation where the complexity management is poorly executed. And so... The yeah. precise trade-off between success and complexity does not, in fact, enable you to grow at the rate you would otherwise have and so on and so forth. Yeah. But in general, kind of people handle this in two ways. And the first one is cut scope. Or like, mm. what can I successfully ignore? Mm. Okay, you are burning off to the and side. And how are they deciding what to let burn off to right? the side, right? Like, that is... In, in, in helping other people understand that, I feel like is also hugely important because there's always things we're burning off to the side. But how do you help 
your colleagues understand why these things are bringing to the side? Also a huge question. <laughs> um, but, uh, sorry, just to tie off that point, you can cut scope by ignoring various things that are going on, or you can tell a story about the things that are going on, which is effectively summarization. So you say, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. oh yes, we launched V2 mm -hmm. of this system, and it's just like the first one, except it does this thing differently. Mm -hmm. That is a that is a mechanism by which we try and address complexity in a way that the, the human brain kind of aligns. Well, I shouldn't say the human brain. There's a lot of human brains. Many of those human brains think in different ways. But one useful way is to go, it's just like this thing, except a bit different over here. Right. And people, many people absorb that message a bit better. You know, it's interesting, like what you're saying right now reminds me of an incident I was in a while ago. And I was at an organization that had really long tenured employees, but it also had a lot of new employees. It probably had more new employees than it did longer tenured employees. But um, as a result, there were a lot of systems that uh, there was a new version and then the old, the new version wasn't quite feature parity with the old version. And so the old version wasn't deprecated. And we had this one system where it was a homegrown feature flagging system. There were hacks that people had to turn some things off, like they would just put in um, a ridiculous feature flagging number that probably didn't exist. So it was like one million um, to try to turn a particular feature off. I don't remember all the nuances of it at this point. But what happened with this incident is that one million was, uh, or, or whatever the number was, was higher than the max integer that Java could parse. And the entire thing went down. And there's a lot of whispers and stuff in the office, like, how did this happen? This is, this feels silly, you know, almost like, how did this happen? And I, um, I was actually curious how it happened. And so I went and talked to the person that had typed in that number. Like, it, it was re reasonable to me. Like, you know, we come up with things in the moment to try to get the thing to work as quickly as possible. And we, you know, we grab onto whatever we can. And I thought it was a really creative approach. But I went to the system where you could, do feature flags like that, and I couldn't type in a number that high. And I was like, how were they able to do it? And so I sat at their desk, and I, I was like, can you show me how you did that? And they pulled up this UI that I've never seen before. And then I noticed this person's been at the organization for 10 years. <laughs> and I was like, I've never seen that UI before. And they go, well, what do you use? And then I pull up a new UI, and they were like, I've never seen that UI before. <laughs> You know, it's like, it's, it's things like that, that it's, it's so utterly important. Socialization and communication and storytelling is so hard, but it's so important. And we both learned that the system existed. And then I looked up the system that they were using and it was running on a single node, you know, and no one was managing it anymore. Um, and so, but when you're in your nuanced world, you don't know things like that, right? Like, and neither should, should you, you know, what they did completely made sense to them, yep. but yeah. And I'm completely comfortable with asserting that that old UI probably did things better than the new UI. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and I'm, I'm sure there are people in the organization that knew about the new UI and also chose not to use it um, <laughs> for that reason. So it's I, I just think storytelling is more important than ever and, and not trying to fix complexity, but also just really making sure we're socializing it. Yeah, and I think also, I mean, developing that a little bit more, but also you you, you briefly said in, in your, your last couple of paragraphs that collaboration is hard. And I think 
like the strange thing is it might not actually be that hard inherently, mm -hmm. but we put a lot of barriers in yeah. its way. It, we individuate a lot in the tech industry. It's like not totally focused on collaboration sometimes. That's part of it. And I think there is a cultural a cultural component to that. I think there's a valley culture component to that. I think there's yeah, a mainstream totally. business culture <laughs> component to that. Mm -hmm. Like there's a bunch of different ways where we pivot from going, okay, this is like a, a whole group thing and I'm trying to make things better for everyone versus, okay, this is now an individual thing and I'm making things better for me or maybe for a very narrow scope uh, larger than one individual. But this question of better for the team versus better for the company or better for the individual versus? Well, it's also like, you know, when you just in general human relationships, you want to try to understand that person's world a little bit better and then you can connect with them more. And so it's like when the, when the person that is managing a single service, but doing it very deeply and more nuanced and like very nuanced versus the SRE that is managing the whole system, like they both kind of need to work to understand each other's worlds a little bit more. And each of them, I think, has a responsibility to make it easier for the under, other person to understand their world, which I, which is, I feel like, what's what we're not quite hitting as an industry with collaboration between SREs and service owners today. Well, I think also part of the kind of social hierarchy dynamics end mm -hmm. up coming into this, unfortunately. So, like, you can say somebody said to me the other day that. Part of the genius of Essary is what if operations but high social status, <laughs> uh, which I think is an interesting way to, to put it. And I, I've seen that put in, in a variety of different ways, uh, obviously being software oriented rather than operationally oriented uh, for some reason has acquired this, mm -hmm. this cachet, etc. Perhaps that's also related to revenue generated versus revenue generating versus perceived as a cost center and so on. All of those things are long-standing cultural and business kind of related behaviors that have gone on for a long while. But broadly speaking, what I see is that the act of collaboration happens most easily with people who are kind of born believing collaboration is yeah. inherently a good activity. So you don't think it can be taught? Oh, I think it can. But <laughs> it's 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 tougher, right? It's, it's particularly tougher in certain cultural contexts. I think it's honestly table stakes for an SRE role. Like it should, you know, I think it should be part of the interview process. Like, hey, you need to bring in someone to an incident that you've never met before, and you know their service is impacting the incident, but they don't know. Go and like <laughs> figure out how they would approach yep. that situation. Um, and I, I just think there's kind of little nuances like that that we have to deal with all the time that don't feel that quote unquote technical, but they're deeply technical uh, and require like a, a different level of thinking. I do have a question for you. So we're only halfway through the conference and we're on day two, but I'm curious like what talk that you've seen so far has left you thinking the most? Like what talk keeps popping in your brain now that you've Oh, as co-chair, I could obviously not publicly say. Uh, <laughs> I'm not but, asking uh, you to pick a fave for it. I was very, very uh, careful. All of my children are wonderful. <laughs> um, they are. Uh, but the thing that resonated with me the most is it, one of the subtracks we were, we were trying to pick is what we kind of informally called overlap, which is overlap between other professions and SRE and mm. so on. And 
Andrew Clay Schaefer, co-founder of DevOps Movement, of the, the DevOps Movement, um, however you would define that. Uh, I, I really thought the, this language around legitimacy versus advantage and the question of where DevOps folks see themselves in the world and what they regard their role as and SRE folks and so on, I thought that mm -hmm. filled in a lot of background mm -hmm. and I, I thought that was a great talk. I will also say that another thing we tried to do this year was start this outage review talk mm. and Facebook, sorry, Meta, uh, did a great talk on the incident with turning off the backbone routers that we did a podcast on previously. Mm. Uh, and they sp supplied some additional context there. So I thought that was great. Yeah, I felt for them. They actually had an incident with WhatsApp during this conference that I'm, I'm really curious to know about. We can quite pull something like that together for this episode uh, super quickly, but it was a really interesting incident. And uh, some of the SREs are at SRECon, so yeah. Yes, some of the people who know the answer are probably like 200 meters away. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Well, cool. So we're just about at time and, you know, we have lots more exciting talks to go through, but is there any closing words that you would like to say? I suppose for those listening to this after the conference, which is going to be everybody, uh, please do check out the videos on uh, the Usenix page on YouTube, which is where they typically go, but also in your day-to-day -day work, keep in mind the question of how you understand and how you represent your value. There is almost never a downside to communicating your value yeah. And it's just a question of figuring out how to do that authentically because I know loads of people run from the very <laughs> idea of saying, hey, I'm great. Right. Uh, and it turns out that that's occasionally useful. It's super useful. And on the other side of that, seeing how people understand what you do, the value you provide to the org and being curious about it because I think that helps you improve that communication as well. Well, Good cool. Job. It was great, great chatting with you in person, and we'll see you next time, folks. Okay, folks, that's all we have time for today. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts today, and follow us on Twitter at gettingthere underscore capital G, capital T. To learn more about Heavybit, visit heavybit.com. 